0: My friend Nikki comes up to uh, read our text. Let's center ourselves around this.
1: May I never lose the wonder the one. A reading from 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 5. That is page 1099 in the Shed Bible, if you'd like to turn there. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. The word of the Lord. I see.
0: Amen, thank you, Dylan. I'm Denise Kingdom-Greer, mobilization pastor here at Mars. If we haven't met, it is my privilege to be here with you, whether you be online or whether you be here with us in the shed. As we continue in our series um, in First Timothy. We do so acknowledging that these pages that come to us are letters that landed in someone else's mailbox, or a letter with several pages that landed in someone else's mailbox, and then by the hand of God and by the wind of the Spirit has landed in ours here at Mars Hill. And so we're grateful for God's provision in that way. So I've been ordained in ministry for about 17 years now, and one of the things that I've had the greatest privilege and pleasure in being able to do is to be able to officiate weddings. So when a couple comes to me and says, Pastor Denise, we'd like to get married, will you officiate our wedding? One of the first things that I do is I provide them with a menu. And on that menu um, are options for verbals, for the vows that they will say to each other, for the things that they will say when they exchange rings. So they have an option to choose which one of the things they might want to say. And I present this to them and ask them to go home and pray about it and think about it um, with only one stipulation. And that is, that is that they simply mean what it is that they say. So if you have A and B and you want to pull something from B and put it into A and you want to kind of hodgepodge that, to, I'm totally fine with that. I just need for you to mean what it is that you say. So within a week or two, I usually come back to that couple and sit down with them. And and, and one of the first things that I do is I look through um, the choices that they've chosen for their vows. And 99.9% of the time, they pick something that sounds like to have and hold, to love and honor, and sickness and health until death do us part. And then I ask them this striking question. What does it mean to honor? I usually sort of get a little bit of a glazed over look. And then I remind them, you chose these words. And our only agreement, right, was that you would mean the words that you chose. So what did you mean when you decided to include the word honor in your vow? How will you honor your wife? How will you honor your soon to be husband honor? It's not really a word that we use quite frequently in our life, every day, daily, here in our culture. Besides wedding vows, I would suspect the only other time that we might say honor is when we're in a courtroom, right, when we refer to the judge as your honor, as though that's their name. Apart from that, we really don't don't have a lot of opportunities to really talk about honor as some in other cultures do. Our text today has the apostle Paul teaching his young mentee Timothy something about who this small church in Ephesus wants to be, sparking us to ask the very same questions of ourselves here at Mars Hill. What kind of church do we want to be? Now, in the cultural context where this letter arrives on that first day, these first recipients of this letter are very familiar with the idea of honor and shame. As a matter of fact, they are two of the leading principles and values in their community. To receive the highest value and to do whatever is necessary to avoid as much shame as possible. They understood this thing about honor and shame. So when when the apostle Paul turns to the fifth page and lifts up this chapter to them that exemplifies and illuminates this idea of honor, this strikes them as familiar, necessary, and important information. Now, honor is a high commodity in the Greco-Roman empire and in the public and private life of God's chosen people who live there. And I want you to understand that they understood there to be at least two kinds of honor. There is what you call achieved honor, which is the honor that comes from earning something, from winning something, the honor that Michigan is wearing today. Juxtapose the shame of Michigan State. I'm not really a sports person, but I am a little bit petty, so I have to take advantage of every opportunity to do that. So pray for me when you get a chance. Achieved honor, as you see here to the left of the screen, I think at least it's my left is an honor that is usually something that is earned through athleticism or asceticism or something that somebody has worked hard to achieve. That's why it's called achieved honor. You're welcome. <laughs> and in that, in that culture, um, if we look back to Greco-Roman society, we will often see people who had won some sort of athletic or Olympiad event and they'd be wearing this laurel wreath. And that wreath was a way for everybody around to know that you are worthy of honor because you had earned it in one way or another. Achieved honor. Another kind of honor is what is called ascribed honor. This is the honor that you receive because of your bloodline. If you are the lineage of David, there's a certain amount of honor that could be bestowed upon you. If you are related to Caesar or emperor in some kind of way, there's some honor that should be bestowed upon you because of who you are, because who you're related to, because of what your last name was. We can understand some ways that that plays out in our culture today, but it's even more so in those days. Achieved honor and ascribed honor, two honors that they were very familiar with. But these people, this small huddle of believers in someone's small house or section of their community also realized because of the words that the Apostle Paul had already shared in this letter that achieved honor was not the move. That athleticism is good for some things we've heard from um, former sermons, but that that is not the ultimate goal, to simply achieve for the sake of achieving. We also recognize that this small batch of people had abandoned their family and their rights and everything that their bloodline had, um, would provide for them in order to become followers of this new movement called The Way. This movement that was, that was, that was led by, kicked off, if you will, By a shamed, so-called prophet, Jewish, sometimes called rabbi, named Jesus. What I'm saying to you is that there was no achieved honor in this community who received this letter. And there was no ascribed honor for they had truly forsaken all of that in order to be part of the life of Christ. Timothy's letter here is about honor. And this honor that he's speaking of, it's not just some wide, wet blanket of honor that you just place upon all. Like sometimes when we say we say sir or ma'am and we want to call every person who re- presents themselves as we imagine as sir, we want to call them sir. Be they young or old or in between, we want to call all others who may represent in a way that we represent as ma'am, we want to call them ma'am. And we want to call everybody ma'am without particularity or difference. In some languages there are very clear, lang- they are clear distinctions between m's, Mrs. and m's. There are very clear distinctions between those who want to be called sir and those who do not. But our tendency is often to just spread this huge blanket and say, we just honor all. All are honored. I submit to you today that all are not honored unless everyone is honored. Here in the text, as it opens up to us today, uh, the Apostle Paul immediately comes in by making these clear distinctions about how we honor one another. Starts out, first of all, saying, "When when you speak to old men, do not rebuke them openly, but speak to them as though they are your father. Honor and likewise, when you speak to and when you engage with old, older women, relate to them as though they are your mother. Now, I remember both of my parents have been deceased for many, many years now, but I remember growing up and on a forgotten borough, Staten Island in New York. Well, my parents, my adopted parents taught us important things about how to value, how to honor one parent and how to honor another. I remember clearly the distinctions thereof. My mother my mother was a stay-at-home mom, and she was serious about her job. Don't touch her washing machine. Don't go in the refrigerator. Don't fix yourself anything to eat. Get out of your Your job is to be a child. Go to school. Go outside and play. Maybe make your bed just because you need to do something to you know, to, to um, participate with the move of God in the earth. Uh, apart from that, God is like, I'm, my mom was like, I'm doing everything else. Leave me alone, let me do it. My dad, on the other hand, my dad worked outside of the home. He worked actually in the village in Manhattan. He commuted every day across the Hudson River, past the Statue of Liberty, into the city. He usually worked second shift at a post office there. He wouldn't get home till sometimes 12 or 1 in the morning, so I really wouldn't see him, interact with him very much except on the weekends when he was off. So one of the things that my father taught me early on about honoring my mom was that just because my mom was the person who was going to clean the bathroom didn't mean that I needed to leave the bathroom in disarray when I left. Hello? Come on, somebody. I hear you. Uh Uh-huh. You're welcome again. He also taught us that just because my mother was the one who was going to vacuum the floor didn't mean that I could step over tissues and particles and things that had been dropped, that I too had a spine and a back and a capacity to bend down and pick things up. And that was a way of honoring the work that my mother did to maintain the household that we lived in. Now, my my mom, on the other hand, she helped us to understand that the way that we needed to honor my dad, because he worked all day and he commuted a long way, and then when he came home, it was so late at night, was on Saturday mornings in particular, we had to be very quiet because dad had to sleep. Come on now, yep, somebody say yes, somebody say yes, yes. We had to be very quiet, which, which meant we couldn't watch cartoons until dad got up. Y'all yeah, don't even know what that is. Once upon a time, you used to turn on your TV on Saturday morning and Fat Albert and Bugs Bunny used to come on. you look them up in the vintage station on the tubes, whatever. It also meant that we couldn't have our friends come into our yard to play like they did most of the day because we had to maintain. We had to be quiet until dad got up. That was our way of honoring our dad. What, what are you saying here, Dece? I'm just saying that, 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 that this is resonating in a way that's important to life and community when we realize that we don't just decide that, oh, well, what it means to honor is one thing so that we cover all. But we actually do take into consideration what it means to honor every. One, old men, the apostle Paul says, young men, treat them as though they are your brothers, not as a threat, not as somebody to be overlooked, not as somebody to simply be in competition with, but look at them as though your brothers, although brothers can be that way too. Look at young women as though they are your sisters, not as objects to be pawed or to be objectified, but as your very own sister, honor every one. And then later on, he even goes in and he talks about the elders or the leaders in your community, your spiritual leaders. He says, bestow upon them double honor because of the ways that they labor among you. See that they have no need as they labor honor. And he even adds this other little piece that some of us are going to take too far, I could tell you right now. He says, don't just drink water, but honor your body by drinking a little wine. (laughs) Yeah. Honor, honor each and every, honor fathers, honor mothers, honor older people, honor younger people, honor your elders and your teachers and your leaders, honor your own body. This whole text is about this notion of honor. Every person, me, you, everyone needs, requires, different demonstrations of honor. And then in this small chapter, 13 verses thereof are dedicated to a group of people that I don't know if I have ever heard a teaching or a message about. Widows. Now, for any of you who may have seen the movie with Viola Davis and the crew called Widows which consists of these women whose husbands have subsequently been taken out but they are not to be toyed with, played with or taken advantage of. This text is not about them. (laughs) Don't go back home and watch the movie to try to catch up to the biblical context here. These are not the widows Paul's concerned about. You see, widows in the ancient world didn't have some of the provisions that widows today have. Some widows, the ones Paul calls in some texts real widows, in the ancient world had no social security, they had no senior center with which to play pickleball tournaments. They had no one else to depend on. In fact, he talks about the widow who is really in need, who is left all alone, who puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help because she realizes that God is her only help. For God is her only foreseeable hope for compassion and companionship, for provision and for grace and we, are instructed to honor them. Who else is God calling us to honor in our community, Marzell? Who are the real widows who show up here on Sunday or show up in Grand Rapids on Sunday night or show up online in our community there? Who are they? Can you name anyone? If in fact you are a widow and you hear my voice, I want to know who you are, where you are. Email me. You can find information on the website, call the office, whatever you need to do, find me so I can find you so we can discover ways to honor you. Who else? Who else is particularly vulnerable in our community? Do we even know? Or are we fixated on our own lives and needs such that we haven't taken time to look around and find ways to honor everyone in the way they need to be honored? Listen, friends. The truth of the matter is that honor, giving honor, is our gesture of thanksgiving for the gracious gift that has been given to us through Christ by the Spirit. This small fellowship of believers in Ephesians and in Ephesus shares with us an amazing truth, and that is this it is by grace we are saved, by faith, not of works, not of athleticism, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we are not honored by God or worthy of honor because we achieved it through some contest or exercise. And nor are we worthy because of a a family member who was royal or who nobly ascribed it to us. We have been ascribed honor through the bloodline of Christ, into which we have all been engrafted by the Spirit. Yes, you are, I am, they are, and everybody who is in Christ is ascribed honor thereof. And of course, we all know that Christ's way of bestowing honor was not just all, but it was very particular. Do you remember in Luke 7, when the centurion came to Jesus and said that his servant was ill? And Jesus said, I will go with you. And he said, no, no, don't come and go with me because I have a lot of authority. And I tell people to come and go and boss them around, tell them what to do. And I don't need you to see that. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said the word and the servant was healed. And yet in Luke 19, Jesus met with a man named Zacchaeus and said, come down out of the tree because today I'm going to dine at your house. Very particular ways of showing honor. Do you remember John 7 when the woman was caught in the very act of adultery, so they say? Christ honored her. How? By averting his eyes to the ground and not looking upon her body as others had done. The eyes of shame. But instead he simply spoke to her. Women, where are your accusers? Well, neither do I go your way and sin no more. And yet in Matthew 14, when the woman who had the hemorrhaging in her body touched Jesus in the crowd, he stopped and asked, who touched me? Who touched you? Dude, there's about 100,000 people out here. What you mean? That's me. That's me talking. <laughs> Jesus, what you mean? Who touched me? The woman stood up, Jesus looked her in the eye and said, woman, your faith has made you well. Very particular ways of showing honor. What kind of church do we want to be, beloved? We want to be the kind of church that honors every and not just all very particularly. That's who we are by God's grace. As we are nourished at the table, at the fellowship of the church, that we will grow in honor and the world will see our progress, Tim, and give God glory. This is the kind of church we want to be, a church that honors everyone. So quickly, here are three ways, three things we can do in order to live into this more fully. First of all, pray specifically. Next week, Lord Terry, we will be in November is Adoption Awareness Month. And during that month, we are invited to pray specifically for families, for people who were touched by orphan or adoption. These are some of the most vulnerable people in our community, a lot like widows, very much close to the heart of God, as the biblical text has always taught us. So when you enter into next Sunday, I want you to take that prayer book that's going to be handed to you. Take that home and pray specifically. There are prayers in there for children who might be looking for their bio family. There are prayers in there for people who are discerning whether they want to adopt. There are all sorts of prayers in there. Let's be a people who pray specifically. And then second, let's be a people who celebrates earnestly. This afternoon, immediately following the service, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna head out um, to the, um, to, the, to the Welcome Center here, and, and our dear sister Leslie King from Sacred Beginnings and partner is here with us today, and she's got her book, When Angels Fight, telling the story of how God had moved her from this place that may have been considered unhonorable to a place of ascribed honor that cannot be shaken, amen? And so she's going to be here with her book, I hope that you will be able to celebrate earnestly as you read the book, as you engage with her. Some of you are going to come and have lunch with her and we'll hear her stories and we'll have time to sit at her feet and learn her ways and how God has been active thereof. Let's be people who celebrate earnestly when those who are most vulnerable are able to live into the fullness of their honor. And then third, let's elevate the voices of those who are most vulnerable perpetually let's elevate their voices and their stories and so so as I come to a close a couple weeks ago um, the staff at Marhead sale we we went to um, connect with some of our uh, our partners at um at 20 leaders you know where they make filters uh for um for Rwanda and um, it was just, a, just a, an opportunity for us to just interface with the staff there, but also a time for us to give ourselves in service. And while we were there, um, Amanda told us a story, and I'm going to let the widow have the last word on this one. She told us the story of a widow in the village who maybe, in our opinion, lived behind a filter, but helped us to understand that behind every filter, there is a real life and a real story. And what she did for us and what I want to do for you and what I believe that God is calling us to do through Jesus Christ for everyone is to elevate those who are most vulnerable in our communities, even the widow, perpetually, for the glory of God. Amen.
2: So 20 liters volunteers in Rwanda. One of the things that they do pretty regularly is they go and visit the families um, that have received filters in the past and they spend some time with them and they do a couple of different things while they're there. But one of the things that they do is they talk to them a little bit about their life before the filter and and after the filter. Um, And so one of our volunteers recently went and and met with this woman named Patrice, And Patrice is a widow. Um, she's she's in her mid-60s, uh, she never had any children. And they were talking to her a little bit about her life before the filter, and she said the thing that, that she remembered most clearly is being really lonely. She spent all of her time collecting water and collecting firewood to boil the water. She, she wasn't very well and her doctors had told her she needed to drink clean water, and and she said that's what her entire life felt like. All of her resources, all of her time, went into that one thing, and she just felt really alone. The Water Project had recently started in this community, and her local church had had seen her. She didn't realize that, but, but they had seen her. And so when it came to the process of choosing who should receive a filter, she was really high on their list as someone who definitely needed that extra support in the community. And then the day came that she was supposed to go pick up her filter and she was really, really sick and she couldn't go. And she sat at home and she just had this feeling that here it was again. Here was another moment in her life where she was just gonna be forgotten. They hadn't forgotten her. It was still there waiting for her. But, but this story doesn't end there because the volunteers kept visiting her to make sure that she had clean water and, and her neighbors started visiting her to, to use her filter. And so every every afternoon <laughs> where someone would come over to filter their water, Um, because the filter takes time to filter through their water, they would sit with her. And so all of a sudden, she had all of these neighbors visiting and sitting with her and talking with her and inviting her to do other things in the community. And so when she was talking to this volunteer about the impact that clean water had made in her life, she talked about the importance of her physical health. But she also really felt the biggest impact was on her mental health. She said, I'm not lonely anymore.